When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 431 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and joining me today in his Barcelona Podcast debut, but not a podcast debut, it's Adrian Bielkowski from Now Camp Now, or New Camp New, I should say, the Catalan version of it. So welcome to the show, Adrian. Hi. Hi, Dan. Hola, uh, Kules. Thanks for having me. Ah, of course, uh, throwback to Frances Tomas. That means he is someone who listens. So that means that you, Adrian, know exactly what is going to be going on here. Yes. And that is we are going to be reviewing the Real Sociedad. one nothing win for Barcelona. And, you know, honestly, unlike Hidafe and unlike Atletico Madrid, big picture about the result, Barcelona moving on to the semifinals. They get through here the quarterfinals against Real Sociedad, the third place team in the Liga, who, while they were missing Mikel Moreno and David Silva, which I think were huge parts of the tactics that we're going to get into and why Barcelona did have that advantage, you know, I felt like I saw a lot less feedback from Kule's negative feedback about this being a one nothing win as opposed to Atletico Madrid against Hidafe. I think it has something to do with the fact that Barca really, truly only suffered in this game for about the last 10 to 15 minutes. And it was nervy and it was nerve wrecking. But I, I feel like Kule's were a bit more willing to give compliments to a, a 10 man Real Sociedad side than they were to Atletico Madrid or to especially Hidafe on the weekend? Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, I think, first of all, it was a, it was a better, better match uh, than the last games uh, the, that you uh, pointed out. So I think overall it was a very good game uh, from Barcelona's side, especially uh, in the first half. Uh, 
but then uh, you know we we got into what what happens a lot uh, this season the second half problems and problems with control of the game uh, but overall it was it was uh, very good i think but you know it's obviously it was a bit easier when you play against 10 men right so uh, we we don't know <laughs> how good actually Barca was in that game, but I actually was at uh, both Getafe and uh, Atletico Madrid games. So the Getafe one was really bad, and and the well Atletico game was I think it was it was good enough. I mean it was uh, an away game at a tough stadium, so um, I have no complaints there. Yeah, well I think I want to get into a little bit of why it seemed a bit better and or why things actually looked worse in the second half when they went down to 10 men. I, I think just tactically speaking, well, this is a big question going in, right? How, A, were Barcelona going to deal with the high press of Real Sociedad, which, again, they only really they only were punished with for the last 10 minutes or so of the match when Real Sociedad were down to 10. But then you you still saw, and a credit to Real Sociedad in Imanol, who go forward with that formation and go forward with his ideas regardless of how many men he has on the field. So compliments there. But for Real Sociedad, without Mikel Moreno, that put Reis Mendez in a different position where he had to defend a bit more than he usually does. And I, I was a little bit frustrated to see, you know, on social media in particular, people saying, oh, this is what Reis Mendez is. But no, he was playing completely out of position because he usually doesn't have that defensive responsibility. Normally, he's pushed farther forward with Moreno, the one who's doing that job. And I think we can talk about all these things at the same time, but De Jong and Moreno play very similar roles for their teams. The exception of with they play, that being Barcelona, this four-man midfield, the question was, other than the high press, how Barca would deal with that? We can answer that question. The other one was how the square or box, whatever you want to call it, midfield for Barcelona's midfield four with De Jong and Busquets and Gabi and Pedri, how that would, we'll say, lay on top of, if you were to overlay the two formations, how that would then deal with the diamond formation that we knew we associated that was going to go with, that they've had confidence with this year. Because either way, those midfields be damned, it's out on the wings where things were really going to happen in this match. It was that being real. So dad, they try to force everything into the wings because you can't score the goals. If you're just stuck on the wing, right? Something has to happen in the middle field. So they want to stay structured and, and devout to defending in the middle in the way that they did, I think to good effect. But that meant that if Alejandro Balde or Usmane Dembele were going to beat them yesterday, then we also said we're going to take that chance that one of those two players on the wing was going to put them to the sword and fortunately for, for Kool-Aid, and I think it's where we begin with the most positive aspect and the man of the match and all those things, Usmane Dembele was explosive. He was dynamic. He was everything that Kool-Aid's want yesterday. And I think you watching him live can probably agree with that sentiment. Oh, yes, definitely. Well, during the Atletico game, I said something like, Dembele can be your best and worst player in, in the same game which is not a secret. Uh, he's been like that for, for a time now, but for some time now. But, but I also said that uh, he, he has these games like uh, when, when, he, when he looks like a prime Ronaldinho and people made fun of me. But then yesterday you get this game and it's actually amazing what, what he was doing uh, to those poor uh, San Sebastian guys. He was a constant threat. He should have uh, at least uh, one or two assists uh, because he, he set up Frankie, he set up Gavi uh, for really nice shots. So it was one of the best games uh, from him. The problem is uh, we all know uh, what what's his problem is, is uh, consistency that we can never know for sure that uh, he will deliver the same or even, let's say, a bit similar level of, of his play 
in the next game. He, it might be like totally different. He might be the the worst. Uh, so that's that's the problem with building on him, uh, building your team on the shoulders of this guy. Yeah, I mean, even the numbers bear fruit. He had five successful dribbles of the nine he attempted. He had three key passes. He lost possession 18 times, but only one of those times was in Barcelona's own half. And that was one of the times where they were attempting to clear and they weren't able to clear. So all was all four of the defenders had more let's say, possession lost in their own half as opposed to Demele, who, again, was losing the ball in positions that Barcelona were set up to try to take the ball back with their rest defense. He was also four for four in his long balls, so his crossing was there. He was switching the field well. Two big chances created. I said three key passes. Uh, he also won six duels yesterday as well, so he was winning the ball back, defensively engaged. And so statistically, just looking at it, I think it's his second or third best Barcelona match ever. So, you know, what we were watching, the stats also back up that Dembele was a difference maker. As I said, it was interesting because Real Sociedad were kind of forced yesterday in that situation to live or die by the hand of Dembele. And that's exactly what happened. That one nothing. But it wasn't just Dembele, though, because that first half in particular, I made mention yes, to you. Yes, yeah. exactly what you mean. But the problem with Dembele is also that he's expected uh, to, to perform like that in every game. And we mm -hmm. really have problems with with creating uh, the imbalances in the game, with creating the advantages, which is created re really by the players who can dribble. And that's it. That's just, it's, it's quite simple. So when you have a guy like that, that, you know, you need another uh, defender on him because he can just get past you like a Tasmanian devil, then obviously it's quite easier for other players to, to get some spaces. And we, we lack those kind of players. Uh, I mean, Ansu Fati, Ferran Torres, maybe Rafinha a bit, but still it's not the same level. We, we just miss those players that can do it. So, so there are games when Dembele is actually losing all the balls uh, and uh, creating nothing because he's just expecting to do it uh, too much, I think. Well, yeah, and I think we saw with the Gala 11 that Xavi is now selecting that he's kind of, it is a, a good thing, I think, that at this point with the domestic trophy still up for grabs, being in January, knowing who your 11 are, as long as they stay healthy, he knows who he's going to put on the field and the team that he trusts the most, and that does include those four midfielders. Because as you mentioned, on that left side, Xavi's Gala 11 doesn't have a left winger. It has Balde playing as a left wing, and we saw yesterday that he is still kind of limited in his dynamism and his ability to invert and come inside and make the right decisions at a fast enough rate. Like clearly the decisions are there defensively. He has it and his final ball isn't as good as yeah. George Alba's. It might get there, but it's not there just yet, but he still gives you so much, especially defensively that Alba and Marcus Alonso, I'm not even saying that name on the left wing, but like he gives you so much more that you kind of have to do start him in those situations. But again, Balde wasn't going to be Russell's dad yesterday. Yeah, I mean, uh, his problem is, I think, his uh, right foot is just uh, quite weak. And he, he he always seems to be looking for his left foot whenever he can. So that's obviously quite limiting for him. But in the end, I think uh, Xavi, um, I don't know if it was on purpose or by accident, but he found the best lineup that uh, we can field right now. So it's actually without a left winger, just leaving the place for for Alex uh, Balde and the uh, left winger then, which is like Gavi or Pedri, they come to the midfield to, to contest them in the midfield more. 
and uh, it's a good idea, I think. When Dembele is on the left and Alejandro Balde is on the left at the same time, they they need some time uh, to to work it out. Maybe they will never actually work it out. You know, like with Jordi Alba had the same problems with uh, with Neymar, for example. So we'll see. It's quite interesting. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano. Or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content... Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. I would say don't think of this as a 4-3-3 because that, I know that's what it looks like. And you say, oh, Pedri or Gabi, one of them is a left winger. But that's not the case. This is, we're seeing the same thing at Arsenal, at Man City, at 
other teams as well who are trying to press the way that Barcelona is trying to press, the way that other teams are trying to turn them over, uh, that being Barcelona trying to turn the opposition over in their own half. They're playing in possession with a 3-2-5. That's what they're playing. They're playing five on that front line to try to put pressure on the opposition and trying to have Gabi and Pedri operate in those half spaces with the young Busquets defending in behind. And then three center backs, that being Kunde moving over to being a right center back. I mean, that is truly in possession, what they're building up to. And then they're defending in a 4-3-3, trying to man mark at times. And we've also seen a little bit of a zonal marking situation. And as we do talk about those half space in that midfield, I think that is why Barcelona also succeeded yesterday. That Bryce Mendes, again, he was in a role that he wasn't used to. Takafusa Kobo was useful to what Real Sociedad was doing. He looked lively. He looked like their most dangerous player. And he was offensively finding space, playing off of Busquets' shoulder. But he also then, in the buildup, which is why Barcelona, I think, controlled so much of that first half, he had to choose between Busquets and De Jong at a lot of different junctures. And I think De Jong, for me... The next 45 and the last 45, he struggled once Mendez was gone from the game. But when it was 11 v 11, I thought De Jong had, I mean, this is one of his best 45 minutes in the first half that he's had this season. Because I think it was what I said against Adafe. No De Jong meant there was nobody causing positional chaos. Like Gabi operates and plays within chaos, but De Jong positionally is chaos, even though what he's doing is kind of what you ask him to do. So there were times yesterday where I, I felt like Xavi was, I, I guess, as a coach and a manager, I think why he's finding this good balance between De Jong and Busquets, because he's kind of just letting both of them trust their instincts. And he's saying to Busquets, hey, you do your job. You be Busquets to the, to the letter. And he was that yesterday. Busquets was also very good. But De Jong, trust your instincts. I trust that you're going to know when to drop back between the center backs because Busquets is getting man marked by either Kubo with help in behind which I, what was it? Uh, Pablo Marine, the, the young player, mm -hmm. he would switch from Pedri yeah. to help as the second uh, midfielder to uh, behind Busquets. And then, so De Jong in those junctures, you come back between the center backs and then you build up play that way. De Jong, there are times when we want to see the field stretched and Ter Stegen was hitting those long balls really well yesterday, as was Araujo. Both of them, the long balls were there. And that's really helpful when two guys who sometimes they hit them, sometimes they don't. When those are accurate, you can find Gabi and Lewandowski and Pedri all making runs those, those half spaces and trying to stretch the defense vertically. But then De Jong, at, uh, he was with those, those late runs into the box, also creating space with verticality. I mean, also defending for Balde. So I, I thought De Jong and his well, chaos, will say, positionally, but he was everywhere he needed to be and made, it all, made all these right choices. And that is what set Barcelona's midfield up to you know conquer what was a 19-year-old in Marine, Kubo, who again, doesn't defend at a high level. And then Bryce Mendez, who picks up a red card in the first half, and Zubamendi, who will... I want to save him to the very, very end to talk about okay. transfer stuff. But that's why that four-man midfield of Real Sociedad was just overrun. They were missing two of their starting four, and they didn't really have an answer for Barcelona's four, who played really, really well together yesterday. Yes, I, I agree with what you're saying. So I have no no, no further uh, <laughs> uh, things to, to add to, to what you what you are talking about. I think Pablo Marín is quite an interesting player, just... Just wanted to point it out, like mm -hmm. uh, the eye test, mm, quite good. I mean, he's a he's a um, Real Sociedad B player. Might be uh, interesting to to look at him. And Takekubo looks like Takekubo that we used to know from La Masia. Again, uh, he's quite he was quite uh, lively, you could say. But also uh, about our our defense. I mean, how good is uh, just having Ronald Araujo uh, there uh, and healthy? I mean. 
it doesn't matter if fast player he will he will not be uh, get run passed by or uh, if you are a tall strong guy like Sorlov yesterday it also doesn't matter like on the when when they two when those two guys wrestled yesterday uh, i think Araujo won this this duel in the end uh, that's amazing to have him also Christensen or Kunde that the quality they they can they possess just uh, just by by passing the ball forward it's amazing and Christensen actually looks uh, to me like uh, unsung hero of of this campaign because i think to me Christensen is the guy that we thought that Eric Garcia would be so the the solid maybe not great but solid defender with the ability to play the ball and right now Christensen actually I watch him a lot focus on him sometimes and he doesn't really make any mistakes I mean hopefully I I I don't jinx it but I can't really remember his like huge errors I mean even yesterday Ter Stegen uh, had some problems especially in the end when the when he barely uh, gifted the goal to to Real Sociedad Kunda had uh, some bad plays but Christensen is very solid this 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 campaign and I think he's a he's a still on he came for free and uh, there's just Eric Garcia doesn't doesn't cannot compete with him for for now at least it's amazing no 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 um, Eric Garcia is a bench option a rotation option a squad option and Christensen is a starter in in Xavi's best version of that 11 and I agree with that sentiment too about Christensen yesterday I didn't another game where I didn't find a mistake it, it wasn't there then it was Kunde I think in that second half that positionally against the 10 men was getting a, a bit too far forward. He was the one who kept getting caught out. I think he wanted to be a part of that attack. He wanted to, to get up there. And then it was just leaving room in behind exposed. I said Kubo was finding space then in behind, in behind Kunde and off of Busquets' shoulder. Uh, and that is where they found that, that space in the second half where Kunde fouls Kubo. And then they get that, what well, should have been a goal, where Solov, for the one time that Araujo doesn't oh, track yeah. him and he gets goal side of, of Balde probably should have been a goal, but it, it winds up not being the case. So yeah, Kunde, I, I think it was a little hot and cold yesterday, uh, but still, yes, even yeah, I, I agree. I mean, he he was better defensively to me. I mean, at least obviously when I am when I'm at the stadium, it's it may differ to what you you see on the TV, but to me it was defensively he was better than uh, than on the offense. But overall, he he's a great uh, great defender, a great player. I, I was. Uh, very happy that we have signed him, and so far he looks amazing. I think I think he will be a great player for us for many years, hopefully. Well, you were in the stadium yesterday. I do want to ask the pivotal moment in the game when Bryce Mendez gets the red card and Hino Manzano is kind of well, you could hear it in the TV. Like he he was getting it. I mean, the camp now was yeah. giving him all he could handle. So did did, did a, the Kules around the stadium take a little bit of credit for that red card and kind of? pushing Manzano to a place that made him uncomfortable in that match because Barcelona against Real Sociedad on paper shouldn't have many fouls. It should be clean football, but that match was pretty ugly in the first half, like more uh, way uglier than you expect a Barca La Real game to be. Oh, I don't know about clean. I mean, the, the teams from Basque country, they are known to, to be tough and, and they, they play usually, this brand of football. That's well, quite, but, but usually that's up in the Basque country. Like, up, well, Athletic Club is everywhere. But for Real Sociedad, it's usually, there's a reason why Barca has not lost in the Copa del Rey to Real Sociedad since 1980. 
because when Real Sociedad do travel for the Copa to the Camp Nou, Barcelona play their style, and that's what happens. They adapt to it, and then it's like, it's just when they go up to the Basque Country against Real Sociedad, where, yeah, things, you're right, things get a little muddy there. Yeah, but uh, anyway, be that as in May, uh, yeah, sure, I mean... <laughs> That was, uh, well, obviously he made some mistakes against Barcelona. I think the most obvious one was in the 63rd minute, I want to say. I I look at the replays today just to make sure because it was a foul on on Gavi uh, where Gil Manzano immediately showed the ball that the defender, I'm not sure who, who it was actually, the defender got the ball. And today I look at the highlights and there he was nowhere near the ball. Maybe it was a foul, maybe it wasn't a clear penalty, but definitely 100% the defender didn't touch the ball at all. So, I mean, he made some mistakes. Obviously with the red car, how can you not see it being two meters away from the uh, from the play? I mean, we couldn't see it that uh, good because we were in the stands, but come on, two meters away. You have to spot those uh, spots, this this place immediately, not uh, rely on the VAR. So I wouldn't say that uh, we, the Kules in the stands, uh, tried to, we didn't uh, pressure him. Maybe, maybe a bit, but I mean, in the end... uh, all those little uh, little things, little situations in the game that you have, somehow, somehow, in the end, they they always uh, are against uh, FC Barcelona when when Gilmazano um, is refereeing. So Barca has very low percentage of wins when he's the referee. Maybe that's just a coincidence, but you know, I don't believe in coincidences. Well, they still have won sixty percent, but yeah, for Barcelona, they that being them in Real Madrid do win. I think what sixty-seven percent. Uh, Madrid might be sixty-nine percent or something like that of their matches. So yes, he is he is a, a lesser percentage for Barcelona. But yeah, I would also say too of that incident where if Manzano were to give the yellow to Mendez against Lewandowski when he deserved it, right? I mean, a minute beforehand, then he probably doesn't reach in on Busquets in that way. And so I think for Mendes, because he got away with the yeah. first one, he goes in for the second one and then winds up getting a red. But I mean, that's also Mendes. I mean, for Bryce Mendes to not do that. So again, I, not to say I want to defend Bryce Mendes, but again, I want to remind people that to me, yeah. I think he's arguably been the league of player of the season so far. Like Barcelona and Real Madrid, neither really have like the guy that you're saying, okay, that's the reason why they're first or second in the league right now. But we also see dad have their talismanic player this season. And it is Bryce Mendes. He's making the move from Celta de Vigo. He's been the best transfer in the Liga. I think arguably Lewandowski might be the other one because obviously he's leading the goal scoring charts and all those things. So oh, come not- on, I'm Polish, so be careful of uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> what you're choosing. We're about to do Lewandowski next, actually, because yeah, yeah I think Bryce Mendes has been the player of uh, of the season for La Liga. So you know, as a Kule, I, I wish I could step back and say it as a neutral, but I was a bit. If I was a neutral, I'd be a bit frustrated with that game because I didn't get to see the best of Bryce Mendes. But again, I think with ha- without having the support of Moreno behind him. That one-two punch is just so essential to, to what they're doing. And, okay, so before we do Zubu Mendy, I want to do Lewandowski real quick. Levon, one of our regular co-hosts, had mentioned on Twitter, so I'm going to give him credit for kind of starting this debate and beginning this question. Since Lewandowski came back from the World Cup, there's something about him in the Liga that just isn't clicking. There's something about how he's dealing with the pressure from center backs that just doesn't look like him, if you will. There was a the red card that, of course, he picks up against Espanyol. But even against Adafe, and then now against Real Sociedad in the, in this match, and then even Real Betis when he scores the goals, 
it's it's just still didn't feel like it was coming the way that we expect from Lewandowski. It doesn't feel like he's taking over games. Is there any? I mean, you watched him at the World Cup. Is there any bit of worry about him in this return from the World Cup? Yeah, I think uh, that maybe he spent too much time actually with uh, with Polish players like Krychowiak, and it kind of kind of takes uh, takes a toll on you because he was very good before uh, the the World Cup, and then you know one month uh, after uh, after the World Cup, and he's still not back. You might say he's still in the in the Christmas form, I would call it. So yeah, I I actually I I saw this tweet from Levon and I agree with it. I mean, uh, he's not the same guy that we had uh, in the fall of of 2022. So um, it's just those little things that didn't happen now happen. Like uh, his passes are a bit off. Sometimes his first touch is a bit off. And it's just uh, quite frustrating because he looks like a techni- technically uh, quite uh, quite different player, you might say. Not um, obviously he's not the best dribbler, not the best skilled guy in the world. We all know that. But now at, there are times when he just gets the pass and the, the balls just jumps. Uh, around like very i don't know how, how to explain it but he's just like uh, looks like a bit maybe unfocused you might say very hard to explain really he was i was thinking that this might happen when he joined the barca, uh, barca team because it's normal like you 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 you're nervous uh, you want to just uh, fit in the team but then uh, he had the best start that you can possibly imagine he looked very well and now and it started actually before the world cup the last couple of games were were quite bad of him so he still gets his numbers but he's not his impact on the game like you said is not not as good as it used to be yeah that's quite worrying well, I guess there's two options here. Do you think it is a form thing or do you think it is the fact that he's 34? Because the 34 thing, when you bring up his age and you question that, then it becomes, there seems, there feels like there's a permanence to the struggles he's having as opposed to just calling it form and saying it's Lewandowski, he'll figure it out again. Yeah, so I hope uh, I hope that it's not his age thing. I mean, <laughs> that would be horrifying for, for us as Kules because he just got here. I mean, he has still like uh, three and a half years left on this deal. So let's hope it's not the case. And I I don't really think that is the case because uh, of the way that he treats uh, himself, like his body. I think uh, that easily, I before he came to Barcelona, I gave him at least two good years uh, with us. And then the third year, we'll see. I don't think he will stay for the whole four years, but we'll see. But definitely there is some drop uh, in form. And uh, I'm just hoping that it's just that, like a blip that will take him a a month or so and he'll snap out of it and be the best Lewandowski that he can be again. Well, yeah, Lewandowski, age, we start to bring up that. And I think we transition to one 34-year-old to another. And talking about Sergio Busquets, I said he was really good yesterday. And I think it's a bit worrisome if Barcelona were to to go all in and Arteta and Arsenal don't, pay the 60 million euro lease clause for Zubamendi because Zubamendi has kind of said to Real Sociedad even that if somebody's going to pay that clause, then I'm going to wait to go. So he doesn't want to go in the wintertime, especially because Real Sociedad are potentially going to be in third place. And he would rather play Champions League with Real Sociedad for the first time 
then make the move as well. So, I mean, that transfer could get very complicated for both Arsenal or for Barcelona, because again, a player that he renewed to play at Real Sociedad, the place where he came up through the system and he's an important player there. So I understand the transfer would be difficult. And then you watch a game like yesterday. And I feel like, again, just like Bryce Mendez, it's a bit unfair to Supermendi because every time, other time I've watched him this season, he's been better than he was, or he did a better Busquets impression, if you will, than he did at the Camp Nou yesterday. We saw almost the worst version of Zubamendi because he was pulled out to the wings a bit too much. He was good on the counter press, but again, Real Sociedad's press has been so much better this season than it was yesterday. Barca did a really good job, as I said, to vertically break down that press. And in the first half, we barely saw it all. So you didn't really get to see the best version of Zubamendi. And I would, I, I would ask if you were to throw him then on the other side and put him where Busquets was, put Busquets in Zubamendi's role for Real Sociedad, if you wouldn't have seen a similar performance that Busquets put on that Zubamendi would have had in that Barcelona setup. But I think the worrying thing is, is it does seem like Zubamendi is giving you 80% of what Busquets at 34 gives you, and he's 24. So he could step up into, you know, it's one of those instances where I, I you see all the same thing with Balde, and you've seen other players too. The minute they jump into a Barcelona system, and they're surrounded by these Barcelona players, as opposed to Real, no disrespect to Real Sociedad players, but when they're surrounded with this, you know, international gala 11, their level is raised a little bit just by being of surrounded course. by better players. And Supermendi is one of those examples where, okay, I see what he does at Real Sociedad. He can operate in a single pivot. I think horizontally, the questions remain with him that they did with Busquets. But to me, in the tape I've watched, to be quite honest, I think Alan Varela, if he is half the price, if he's a third of the price, the, the guy at Boca Juniors, I think if you're asking for a single pivot Busquets replacement, somebody to try to do the best version of what Busquets does, I, to me, see a lot of things in Varela that are more similar to what Busquets does than Zubamendi. I think Zubamendi does, again, 80% of it, but I think there are a few concerns that he could reach the highest level to me if he were to enter Barcelona. And I, I not to speak for you, but I'm, a, I'm assuming you have the same sentiment as well. Yeah, quite similar. So I actually, I, I, I've been to Argentina a month ago and it's already, he's a quite a big, big thing. Uh, you might say that the next player to to be the the next star to to go from Argentina to to Europe, like Enzo Fernandez Fernandez did. So yeah, well, I, I if if he was twenty twenty one years old, I would say that he's quite a great potential, and we might uh, s- uh, sign him before before anyone else does, and they uh, still steal him from us. But when he's twenty four. It's actually not that much that we will improve. I mean, it's like a football manager in real in real life. I mean, you can obviously be better, but it's pretty much what you see is what you get at that age. And obviously, the eye test, it was it, he wasn't that great. I mean, it's just not that uh, he's um, he's a bad player, but it's just not that great. And we are looking for people who are great who have this something. This, uh, this, uh, this something special in in them, and you, well, you could see it in in Busquets when he was when he was younger, uh, maybe not uh, at uh, obviously not in the first or second game, but it was obvious that he has this something that you are looking for. And Zubimendi, I don't know, I I'm not sure really, and. Uh, Honestly, the price tag of 60 million 
is ridiculous yeah. to me. I mean, with today's prices, obviously, yeah, sure. Uh, this is the right, right, like fair market price. Okay. But to us, to Barcelona, it's just ridiculous to play, uh, to pay 60 million euros for a guy that's, well, not, not really that amazing, to be honest. I mean, there are, uh, there, there aren't uh, that many players who, who can play in this role for Barcelona. And uh, obviously we should just stop looking for the next Busquets because we'll never get in one. It's just very unique player. As Leo Messi was very, uh, very unique player that Sergio Busquets is maybe, maybe the same, same, like very unique player. And he will just never replace him one to one. So we have to look for someone who will play with Frankie, I would say, be it as a one pivot or, or two pivot. I don't know, but uh, I don't think Zubi Mendy is an option for us. And just because of financial reasons, he's just not, not the guy for us. Yeah, I think 35 would be a much more appropriate number for him. And 60 is just a bit too much for that. And I do think the next midfield player that Barcelona does need to really consider is, instead of even saying Busquets, call it a controller role. They need somebody to control a game. I mean, they, I mean, we, we look at the end of that, the finale of the competition yesterday and those last 10 minutes that Barcelona did kind of lose their heads a little bit, lose control. And you mentioned Tostegan almost gave them a goal, but Tostegan also saved the game in the 88th minute. And then in the 93rd minute, he also had that punch away on the corner late in the game. So while Tostegan did kind of try to almost gift it to him, he also was the big reason why, once again, Barcelona are walking away with not even what, three points, but they're moving on in the Copa del Rey, very much like they've been doing in the Liga, where they're just moving on to the next one, having taken the three points. And, and so for Ter Stegen to be this good again and stay, you know, stand on his head and be in, in net, I also want to say, too, that there's something about the confidence of Ter Stegen to have Araujo and Kunde and Christensen and Baldi in front of him. I think their form and his form are all working in tandem. And just trying to think back, I mean, this is probably the strongest back line that Barcelona has had, that foursome. You could see that it's kind of building to really something special where you have what, all four of them are 26 or, or younger. And then three of the four are 24 or younger, that being Kunde being 24. This is a really positive sign that, you know, Ter Stegen has this confident defense in front of him. I, I don't see how, you know, I understand the whole thing about Barcelona's defense has a reputation, but I think by the end of this season, based on trophies, the narrative could really shift in a different direction as far as how good Barcelona's back line, that being the four plus Ter Stegen is. I mean, let's just say loud and clear that our defense is way better than our uh, attack and mm -hmm. way, way more consistent. I mean, obviously, there are some plays uh, that the other team should have scored, but somehow they don't. I mean, it's not like uh, every mistake gets punished in, in the game of football. So sometimes, oh, yeah, sometimes you make one mistake and you drop points because of that or you get knocked out of the, of the cup. For, for a mistake or two, but it doesn't really happen that often. So I think it's not a coincidence that we, we have this amazing uh, defensive record in, in La Liga. It's just, it's not just pure luck. And uh, if, you, if you're saying Ter Stegen, well, I have no idea what happened to him this, this summer, but this is uh, an amazing resurgence of, of form for, for the German uh, goalkeeper. Maybe it was the hair that magically grew hair. back. I, <laughs> I think, I think, yes. Confidence, well, everything, yeah. 
I, I think it is the hair, maybe 50% is the hair and the other as uh, the, the proper, finally, the proper backline that we have of Araujo and Kunde or, or Christensen. I mean, the concern with the back line is the drop-off, right? That when Marcus Alonso or or Eric Garcia are coming in for Araujo, oh my God. Point, when you rotate him or something, right? And that's what it is. Like, it's, again, no disrespect to Alonso or Eric Garcia, but the drop-off from Araujo to Eric and Marcus Alonso, which is... Yeah, it's it's incomprehensible, and <laughs> it it does it's, it it's huge. Everything it. Yeah, it's and it's for some reason, Travi has to sub in Marcos Alonso like nearly every game for some reason, just to make it more interesting, exciting for us. I mean, to to uh, spice up the emotions. I don't know, but for some reason, he he just loves uh, subbing him on for some reason. Yeah, well, yeah, it is that point in every podcast when you someone brings up Marcos Alonso. So we're gonna pivot to off the field stuff, of course, instead of going into that. So the last thing we have to discuss today before we go is the Gabi first team situation, which I mean, there really isn't much for us to say about. The whole thing is that Liga has rejected Barcelona's attempt to register Gabi as a first team player in the deal that he already signed over the summer. That's supposed to keep him not only keep him to the camp no until 2026. It's also a one billion euro release clause which is awful helpful to keep him around because that 1 billion is still that insurmountable premier league number, right? Like Chelsea can spend all this, but 1 billion is still, they have to do, they're going to, they're going to wind up doing that. What over the course of three and a half, four seasons. Cause right now give it's like, them a couple of years. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. So basically in a five-year window, they, 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 they spend a billion, but in, in one, in one fell swoop with one transfer, 1 billion is quite a bit for release clause, but they do say that because of Barcelona's FFP limitations this coming summer, when likely with those wages over the summer and the spending limit continuing to go down for them, they won't be able to pay for him then. So they can't register him now so that they're going to have to do it over the summertime, if that makes sense. Like they're going to have to wait until the summer when that contract is a first team deal and then put him on the books there as opposed to trying to report him in January where it's not going to take as much of a hit to the summer window. So it's just, again, more frustration from the Liga and registrations and just getting tighter and tighter and tighter. As again, you see the EPL say, hey, you guys can spend as much as you want. And the league is just continuing to put the poor strings down. And what that does affect is, well, yes, it affects the fact that he's wearing 30 instead of six still. But the other negative part of that is because he is still on that youth deal. The, the, the first Copa del Rey matches when you expect to see the young players where Xavi didn't play the young players because he had a healthy full squad so we wanted to get the basically the fringe players in it kind of affected that so for the rest of this season i don't really see it really mattering because really the only way it would matter is that because he's on a first team deal balde is still on uh sorry uh, uh, an academy deal balde is also still an academy deal and remember you can only play it what is it it's three it depends on the competition but it's three youth team players all at one time and i think it's five total in the squad so that means that at any given time he can only trust and pablo torre is also on a youth team deal so in theory, you know, for all people asking, well, what about Chadiviat or Lamine Yamal or whatever? I mean, he's 15, but, you know, where are these next players coming up? But if you have Pablo Torre and Gabi and Balde all in the field at the same time or even in the squad, you can't really fit another one in there from the academy. So that's why they are kind of limited. And then and our Alakon, you throw him into the mix. So now you've got you have to choose between Gabi and Balde, who are the obvious picks, and then Alakon. And then that means Pablo Torre, I, I, if I'm not mistaken. You can't really feature it. It also depends on the competition. Someone on Twitter or in the comments on YouTube or something, I've already been corrected a hundred times, but Adrian, I give you the first option to correct me, please. Oh, I don't think I'm the expert on, on the regulations of La Liga. Uh, but, I don't think anyone uh, is. Barcelona yes. can't figure it out either. And no I, one I can. Don't, 
exactly. I don't think even Javier Tebas knows what's going on in La Liga right now, like really 100%. Uh, so it's just, you know, the the slogan is that we make fun of uh, a lot is it's not football, it's La Liga. And there's just so many different situations that this applies to. Look, we just... Like 15 minutes ago uh, in this podcast, we just talked about spending 60 million on Zubimendi. And then you have the the Gavi news that we cannot register him as a first team player f- since forever. So that's just uh, La Liga by Javier Tebas for you. That's not much that you can uh, add. Uh, Angel Alarcón obviously is uh, more important to, to be included in the squad once uh, Memphis is gone. And because Memphis is gone, so Chadiriad has to has to wait. He's a great talent. I think he will be quite a good player for us sometime. But for now, it's just on on his position. We don't need uh, any any support <laughs> from that. So unless some injuries happen, so he just uh, has to be patient. And as for Gavi, I think he understands the the situations that the Barca is in. Uh, I think even even being eighty years old. It's just easy to understand that the club basically still has money problems, the, the cash flow problems, and it's just the regulation stuff. And the the contract is what's the most important part is that the contract is already signed and in place, and it's just waited to to have him announced as a, a Gavi Hernandez with the number six. Right, exactly. Uh, and Baldy the same way. He has to wait for the summer too. And, yeah. you know, I, I think what's frustrating too, and Patreon Mike comes on sometimes to kind of work us through the actual numbers. But again, with Barcelona having trouble, I don't know. I, I just, whenever these things are reported, I, I feel like they have to have some kind of idea of what the actual numbers are. Like, ever, because Memphis to buy salary is a salary, right? So you, you, you take that salary off your books, you take PK's salary with his retirement off the wage bill. And so you should know what the actual number is, right? And then in yeah. the same in the same way, because of the budget that La Liga has to approve. So I, I know that losing out on that Champions League money was big for Barcelona. Winning the Spanish Super Cup was a bit helpful as well to get some of that revenue, recoup some of that revenue. But like I, I just I'm I'm always so confused that there should be a number that should be known by a club to say, okay, since we've taken these wages off the wage bill prior to January, this is what we have to work with. And I, I it's like how did how does the club not know that number? But then how does Liga also not? How do they not approve but a number? Remember, that we're talking about the organization that didn't uh, know about the Kunde situation. If he's supposed to play with us, remember this. When he came, he had to. Uh, he didn't. He wasn't included in the first couple of games, if I remember correctly. And then it turned out that he actually could play. So, True. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's the same thing with the even even on the feminine version the. Uh, for those who didn't hear, Barca Femini are out of the Copa del Reina, not because they lost the match, they won 9 nothing, but it's that they field an ineligible, ineligible player. And, you know, we laughed from Tiresev from years ago about Real Madrid, but I, that's the one when, when teams play uh, ineligible players. I just, I cannot wrap my mind around it, that the, the federation that approves the squad, the referees that approve, like, the lineup cards... The teams that obviously know their player got red carded or, or whatever yeah. was disciplined in the last match. I, I just I don't understand when it comes to these competitions how everybody misses these things. I just I cannot wrap my mind around it. <laughs> Adrian, please <laughs> like just anything. I just, I, I don't after, get it. Ever listen, after I moved to Spain seven years ago, 
and uh, I'm just not that surprised. Like whatever happens, it's just you know, it, this is Spain. You just have to. I mean, you you live in the U.S., so maybe it's just hard for you to to understand those things. But I'm I'm just gonna give you an example. I tried to go to to Manchester United game uh, with the club with the desplazamientos, you know, like the travel agency of the club, and I'm trying to to get it booked to spend my hard earned uh, 300 euros uh, since like, I don't know, two, two weeks. Mm-hmm. And I cannot do it because of some technical error. So I finally had to go to the OAB, to the uh, office at Camp Nou and uh, stuff like that just, that just happens. Like with the jerseys uh, that uh, people couldn't buy, you know, I had people from Poland coming over and going to Camp Nou, not even thinking that they won't be able to, to buy a Lewandowski jersey. And it turned out that there are no jerseys at, at all because they just run out of stock. I mean, this situation is fixed now, but those kind of fix just happens. Just happen in Spain. Yep. You just it, it, it happens in Barcelona too. You do hear those stories from all the yeah. different clubs around, and you're right. I mean, I, I'm particular right outside New York City, so I could tell you that I always say when driving. Spain, it's a little more lax where people, you know, you kind of just go with the flow. But yeah, I hear driving in New York, I tell you, you have to know exactly what lane you have to be driving in prior to getting in the lane. Like we're talking a mile and a half down. You better know <laughs> that you got to take a left or a right when that's coming because you are not going to have any room, any space. And people here are just kind of, you got to get it exactly right or people are going to be yelling at you and down your throat. And that's just, I don't know. That's just the way New York can be. Uh, it's a little rough around the edges. But Adrian, you were not rough around the edges. It was a, a great debut on the Barcelona podcast. Of course, you do a podcast yourself. And I want you to give you a time and a moment here to plug all the different places people can find you as well as your own content. Okay, great. So I'm not going to actually plug my uh, podcast because it's in Polish. Um, so unless someone here... Unless... Finally, yeah. Yep. Uh, basically, you can uh, find me uh, wherever. Uh, just type in uh, nine uh, Camp No, and uh, we are on Twitter. We are on Instagram mostly. I do Instagram in English actually. So if you're interested, what a what uh, how it looks like to be a fan uh, of Barca in Barcelona and move around a lot because I'm gonna go to the next games a lot uh, like um, this Sunday Saturday I'm going to Girona and then some other games at Manchester if I finally manage to pay yeah. for it of course so yeah so we can find me there and um, make sure to to drop me a message and say that uh, you're from the podcast <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, make sure if you're, if you're in Barcelona and you see Adrian, give him a hello and then also give him a follow again down in the comments below. You can follow him on Twitter and also again, find the same thing on Instagram. If you follow us there, then we're on Twitter and Instagram too at the Barcelona pod, Facebook group, TikTok, Patreon, YouTube, Discord, the merch store, you know where to find us as well. So thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca.